I'm here with BYU-Idaho Radio. I'm Celeste Simmons, and today I'm going to be talking to Jay Rubin Appleman. He is the author of several books, and the one that we will be talking about today is While Idaho Slept. And so, Jay, thank you so much for doing this interview with me today, and I'm excited to learn more about your book and about your background with criminology and also with writing. Yeah, I'm excited to, to do the show, too. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. So I'd like to start off with knowing a little bit more about you and your background. So I read um, a bit of your book, and it's very detailed, very specific. It seems like you're very well-versed with criminology. What background do you have with that? That's really interesting. Um, you know, I <laughs> I have no uh, traditional background in criminology. I started by researching a cold case that mattered a lot to me. Four kids in uh, the Detroit area where I grew up were uh, abducted and murdered over a 13-year period. And when I was a kid, at the same time, somebody tried to abduct me. And I, I never caught the perpetrator of the uh, murders of the other kids. And I grew up wondering if the person who tried to abduct me had been the perpetrator of those uh, other killings. And um, so I spent, as an adult, I spent 10 years researching that case. I wrote my first book about it, The Kill Jar. I learned to um, uh, obtain police files, learned to understand what they meant, how to interpret things, and basically had a, a self-taught crash course over 10, I guess you couldn't call it a crash course, but a 10-year course in learning how to um, work criminal cases. And after that, became a private investigator, was was poached by an investigative firm uh, when I was working on that book, and I became a private investigator uh, and have been so for the last 10 years. And um, so my, my background is a little non less traditional than, than other people. You know, all of it has been uh, hands-on learning. I didn't go to school. I didn't go to uh, get a PhD in criminology like the, the alleged perpetrator in this case, the while Idaho slept um, uh, case, we could call it the the murders of the four um, students up at U of I, and um, but but I I have more of a hands on approach to things. That's how I learned things always in my life, and that's how I sort of have built my criminology background, as you called it. Wow, that's amazing. Um, yeah, I'm a journalism student here at BYU Idaho, and I've also taken some English courses. So I feel like that's helped me improve my writing because besides all the criminology and all of that information, the writing in the book is also it's very well written. What background or what did you do to self-teach yourself um, writing skills? <laughs> that's a great question. I'm glad to hear you're taking these English classes. You know, I, I taught. Uh, in the writing program at Boise State for 10 years. I I uh, had uh, MFA in poetry. I had, I had a BFA in poetry and then had an MFA in poetry. And um, poetry is my, I guess you could say, my first uh, love and first uh, practical use of, of written language in terms of um, how to give a form and structure to the, the sort of crazy thoughts in my head, right? The way we, we do when we're 19 or 20, trying to figure out what to do with all this information flying around in us. And um, I became a poet, I guess you could say. And I had a couple of books of poetry published, and um, but that didn't really uh, 
provide much of a life for me. I had kids and um, I started writing screenplays and um, never had screenwriting courses or anything, self-taught. It's probably why everything I do takes me so long as I'm mostly self-taught other than in the poetry world. And um, wrote screenplays, worked on documentary films, and have just, uh, since I was about 19, been writing. And that's all... 35 years ago now, maybe, or 30 years, 30-something years ago. So it's all basically um, just, uh, you know, putting in the hours. Yeah. And so for the listeners who don't know about this case and about what While Idaho Slept is about, can you give them a brief explanation of this story in this case? Yeah, well... uh, Almost a year ago now, uh, a week, a week or so, a week or so from now, it'll be a, a year. Um, four University of Idaho students were were in in Moscow, uh, Idaho, were murdered in their off-campus house uh, in the middle of the night, and um, they were done so with a long bladed knife. And uh, right away, the the world went kind of nuts um, tracking. This case online, social media sleuths and cyber sleuths in general started posting about this case. Um, any video or posting on social got millions of views in the first weeks. Uh, mainstream media was covering the case all all over the world. And roughly six weeks later, they <clears throat> excuse me, they arrested um, Brian Koberger, a PhD uh, student in criminology at nearby Washington State. Uh, across the border by about 10 minutes and um, the police and prosecutors claimed to have his DNA on a knife sheath that was left at the crime scene and um, also some other forensic evidence that leads them to believe that the perpetrator is this Brian Koberger who was arrested in Pennsylvania on Christmas break where his family home is and brought back to Idaho uh, where he remains in in uh, jail awaiting a trial that may take a very long time to come to fruition. But um, if you don't know anything about that case, that's that's what's going on. That, that's that's the sort of brush strokes of the case. And um, I didn't immediately uh, jump on this like some true crime fanatic would. Um, it's, it's not really who I am. I'm not a true crime fanatic. I don't read much true crime. I don't write much uh, true crime. I mean, this is my second book, but it's not like it's it's all I do. Um, I don't have a true crime channel or anything like that. I just felt close to this case because um, it's it's in my own community. I've been in Idaho for 23 years now, and um, uh, many tentacles reach between Boise, where I'm based, and North Idaho. Uh, many of my friends have students who. who are at the University of Idaho currently. Uh, my one of my children went to the University of Idaho as well, um, and there's just a lot of people that I know who know these uh, families and um, of the victims and know families in the community. And the, the case just kind of hit hit home for me. And I went up to North Idaho to just be around it, you know, because I cared about what was happening and I wanted to see what I could do. I mean, it's a strange feeling, but like a policeman or a fireman or fire person, I should start saying, um, you know, you, you run to the scene because you're a first responder. It's your impulse. And um, writers are a different sort of first 
responder, just like any other journalist, uh, um, you sort of you feel compelled toward a story and for some reason. And um, that's what happened with me. I just sort of ended up in Moscow and stayed in a motel and started talking to people. And I, I wasn't planning to write a book right away. And then uh, eventually that's what happened. I, was, uh, I just said, you know, I'm going to write this book. And um, uh, I feel like it was a, a way for me to process what I knew um, and what I didn't know. And um, it's, it's like I'm like everybody else. Like you get all these news stories and you get blips and bleeps thrown at you from the media and, you, and you're overwhelmed and you don't know how to process it. And um, I wrote a book that I think helps to process the information about this case. Um, it, it's obviously not written after the trial of the alleged perpetrator. Um, that wasn't that relevant to me. What was relevant to me was that I told a story of, of the victims and I told the story of how communities try to get past this type of thing. And this must have been quite the journey because it's such a sensitive topic for so many people and were you able to interview the families or the friends of these people, or how did you obtain that information to characterize the the victims in this case? Well, uh, uh, there were many, many things I did. Um, for starters, I absolutely made um, dozens, if not probably in the hundreds of attempts to reach everybody I could in the families, um, whether it was through social media DMs or emails or telephone calls or text messages. Um, sometimes, uh, in some instances, in, uh, related to associates of the victims, I, I made in-person attempts. Um, and I was able to speak with, uh, one, one, I, I let's, let me go down the list. I spoke with, uh, a two two mothers of the victims, uh, one one father of one of the victims, and um, one close family friend who um, was as close as I could get to speaking with one of the victims' families. I also spoke to uh, coworkers of the victims. I spoke to people who knew the victims. I spoke to rel uh, uh, excuse me neighbors of the victims um and in in many instances that was very all of that was very helpful um i and i had a in person interview with the um father of one of the surviving victims one of the one of the one of the young women who was in the house but was unharmed uh i i sat down with her father um which was very enlightening and um, other in other instances a lot was mined from social media um there was a lot of public profile uh, information, um, public um, uh, commenting and things like that, which allowed me to sort of paint a portrait of what the victims were up to um, in their in their lives in general and also uh, long ago, you know, dating back all the way to like, say, the beginning of Instagram, there were posts from between Maddie and Kaylee and um, things like that. And that was really enlightening about their relationship, how they spoke to each other, the things that they were concerned about, some of the family activities, things like that. And also, um, uh, as a PI, I have access to certain databases that allowed me to look into uh, some of the other um, things that we would call brush strokes of a person's life. And um, that was really helpful as well. It allowed me to get a sort of socioeconomic picture of the families. Um, and, 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 you know, it, all of that, it, it, it was a variety of things that helped me to paint these pictures as well as, as well as in other instances, other reporting that had already been done and verified. 
um, things, things like that. And um, also there's a plethora of information online, as you probably know, that like um, the memorial that was held at the University of Idaho was, was streaming and um, other things like that, which allows uh, the viewer to get some kernels of information. And, and what I did was tap, you know, everything I could and pull it all together. And I think some people would say, well, you know, uh, all of this information can be gained as well um, if they do the work um, so that they, they, they might have a complaint. They say, well, the, you know, what's, what's the breaking news here? Well, that's not what books are for. Books aren't breaking news. Um, books take the breaking news and they add insight and clarity and texture and context um, just like uh, a book about a war or a book about a presidential race, you know, it's, it's over by the time the book is written, of course. And what the book helps to do is add context and texture for readers who want to understand at a greater level what happened. Um, and, and so that's, I took as, I took all the information I could find from a variety of sources. A lot of it was um, my own acumen at, at investigating things that helped and, um, and uh, presented it for the public in a way that I, I hope allows to paint a, a picture of the, the beautiful lives that these these young people lived and um, and the way the community of Moscow in North Idaho, which is such a beautiful place, is able to move forward um, in certain ways. Yeah, and I imagine it was difficult at times to to have those conversations with people and to even deal with a lot of what went on in this case because of how brutal it was. And even as a private investigator, I mean, I'm sure throughout your life and through writing these books, um, it can get pretty dark at times. And I, we've been learning about this thing called uh, trauma and journalism. So how yes. are you able to separate yourself from, you know, hearing all of these traumatic stories and being so involved with them, but, you know, maintaining your mental health? You know, that's a really great question. I have to tell you, I've done probably about 40 interviews and not a single person has asked me that question besides you. So I really appreciate that. Um, it is extremely difficult and always has been for me uh, to to write on these types of topics. My first book was exceptionally traumatizing to spend 10 years. Um, I think it, it. I'm still suffering some, some PTSD from um, that that exposure to that content for so long. Um, I've also taught at Boise State, in, not just in the English department, but I, I taught courses on human trafficking, which I have studied for years. That content is extremely dark. Even teaching the course, um, the, the several semesters that I have, uh, has been traumatizing. Um, it's, it's, it's difficult. With this case, it's so fresh that it was not only difficult for me, to process the information, but very difficult for me to call the family members in the middle of their trauma, to text them, to DM them. Um, at, at the same time, you have to as a writer because the worst that could happen would be I come out with this book and I never gave them a chance to talk, right? They would say, um, and rightly so, like, you know, why didn't you let me know you were doing this? And what the hell, right? I could have I could have added something to this, and they would have felt robbed of not just the lives of their children, but the lives of their children's or the stories of their children's lives. And you know that's very difficult. And um, but uh, but it was also difficult to reach out to them to say, hey, I I know you're hurting. Um, 
I have to tell this story and I was hoping to talk to you, right? So in a sense, you feel like you're re-traumatizing them. And that, in a sense, if you're an ethical, moral person, feels like trauma to you because you don't like to traumatize other people. So um, it's it's a very, there are very many layers of the trauma that you process and um, it's, it's not always easy. Uh, I have a difficult time with it consistently. I still walk around today um, consistently feeling the, the levels, varying levels of pain and suffering from exposure to these types of things. Um, you know, on the outside, it looks great. The book is uh, uh, on Oprah's list today, the book yesterday, the book is in People Magazine, the book was in Newsweek, the book is, you know, wherever I'm interviewing with you. And on the outside, people say, oh, you go, you know, and they get excited for you and they think, oh, this is a great thing. But for one, I I don't write these books for attention. I write the books um, because it's an important story. And so I'm never really thinking that the accolades uh, somehow will calm the the residue of exposure to these cases. That's not that's not what they do. Uh, I don't even pay attention to most of the the things like it, it being in a magazine or whatever. Sure, I'll post about it on social media because that's the job of a writer is to get read, and you have to do that. Um, you have to do those posts as well, so people read your stuff. But, but underneath all that, no, um, there's a lot of darkness that that you carry around. And um, I, I, you know, I lift weights. I'm physically active. I take my vitamins. I try to get some sleep. <laughs> you know, all the things they tell you you're supposed to do. But your question is a very important one. I, I don't know what I do um, over time. It it slips away, and you you move on to something else. But but for several years at least, and each time I'm exposed to this stuff, it, it definitely lingers. So I appreciate that question a lot. Yeah, thank you for your answer. I'm sure it will help a lot of people because even just, you know, reading a story like this or hearing about it on the news um, is, is very hard, especially for me as a college student. I mean, as I was reading this, and I live in Rexburg, Idaho. It's one of the safest towns in America, they say, but you know, after after hearing this story and we're reporting on it here at the radio station, you know, you never know what can happen and it, it makes life a lot more scarier. Um, I'm also in a class right now where we're, um, it's called Editing, Editing Essentials and we're writing books and doing, well, writing one book and we're doing several drafts on it over the course of the semester. And so I'm curious to know, how long did it take you to write this book? Well, that's a great question. You know, the last book took me 10 years to write. This one, I had uh, about a six-month turnaround time. So uh, I wrote the first draft in, in four months and then edited for two months. Um, and that, that, as you know, uh, in from your co- coursework, <laughs> it, that's, a, that's a fast turnaround time for a whole book. And um, uh, and as well as researching while you're doing it, right? Taking it. So I taken that time. So I was working 14, 15 hour days for, um, you know, about six months. And um, a lot of that was on the road, uh, going up to Moscow or and then immediately coming back and writing or making phone calls and literally interviewing somebody and then writing that writing up those notes immediately and trying to incorporate them in the book. If there was a place for it, it was a lot. It was a lot, you know, but um I uh, feel exceptionally prepared for long hours in solitude. Um, you know, even working as a private investigator, that's what a lot of the job is um, on surveillance or things like that. And um, 
I spent about six months not seeing most people. Um, and I, I like that you said you're in Rexburg, by the way, um, because the world is safe out there, but also you get glimpses of how unsafe it can be. You know, you weren't too far from uh, the Lori Daybell case um, when that happened. And, um, you know, you can see how close you are to to violence in the world. It's everywhere. It doesn't mean it's all the time. But um, I like to think that, uh, like like investigators say, trust but verify. I like to think about that with my safety as well. Trust but verify. Like, yes, 95% of the time we are safe, but you need to take certain precautions to make sure that you're safe 100% of the time if you can. Yeah, definitely. Um, my last question for you today is what advice do you have to young authors who want to get started on writing a book but really, you know, don't know where to start? I I always think that image imagery is everything. Um, meaning um, you start with the closest image to the to the thing that you're trying to write about. So I think that there's a Oh, and I'll explain this briefly because I know you're short on time. I, I think that the way we process is we see things and then we feel things about what we saw. And then from those feelings, we, we try to explain. So we see, we feel, and then we have the idea. So many times writers try to write from an idea, but they have no visual connection to that idea. It's just something uh, very flighty in, in, in the head. Like you think, oh, I believe in radical um, rebirth of whatever, create some sentence. Okay, well, that's an idea. That's a concept. Why do you believe that? Well, because when I was six, I saw this thing. And that's really what happens is we revert to our images that, that allowed us to feel something. And then we gave thought to that feeling. So for me, I always tell people, start with the image. Um, if you're going to write about your childhood, Start writing about the image. What's the thing? You say, oh, my father was a jerk. Well, why was he a jerk? Because he did this. Did what? And then explain it. That's the thing. That's the visual thing that you see. Start there and then try to explain why you think your father was a jerk, for instance. you know. Um, so if we just start writing ideas, it never leads to anything. If we start writing images, it leads to everything. Thank you so much, Jay, for having this over-the-phone interview with me. Um, I sure learned a lot, and I'm sure that the, list, that the listeners did too. So thank you so much for taking the time to do this today. Oh, thank you so much too. Good luck in school. You're great. You'll do fine.